0: Hi, this is Jose Figueroa with An Approved Workman, where we are rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Welcome to another week of Bible study. I am so glad that you're here as we open up God's Word one more time. Our current series is, Come, Lord Jesus, a study of the book of Revelation. If you're new to this Bible teaching ministry, here is how you can learn more about our work. First, go to our website, www.anapprovedworkman.org. That's www.anapprovedworkman.org. On the website, you can learn more about the purpose of this ministry, our approach to Bible study, and also review our statement of faith. You can also listen to previous episodes of the current series on Revelation or any episodes from any of the previous series we have done. On the website, you can also subscribe to the podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now also on Amazon Music, as well as other podcast directories. You can also connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Workmen. On Pinterest, we have a page, pinterest.com slash workmen. And you can also find our Facebook page on Facebook, facebook.com slash Two, one, five. Finally, if you're watching the video version of this lesson, make sure you subscribe to our channels on YouTube and Rumble to ensure you will miss any upcoming episodes. Today, we're in lesson number 42 in the series, Come, Lord Jesus, from the book of Revelation. Our lesson is titled, The Thousand Years, Part 2. And our focus passage is Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. So find your way in your Bible to that passage. In Revelation 20, the Apostle John witnesses the thousand year reign, a final battle, and the great white throne judgment. In our previous episode, we began our study of Revelation 20, looking at the thousand years. And it is in this section of Scripture, where we find one of the most hotly debated passages in all biblical prophecy, the thousand year reign of Christ or the millennium. And we focused last time on verses one through six. And as part of our lesson, we discussed the diverse views on the millennium and how we cannot be dogmatic about the possibilities. There are multiple views and you can find defensible points in all of them. We also encounter key concepts like the first resurrection, the second death, and the lake of fire. And we spent quite some time looking at the nature of Christ's glorious kingdom. That can tell you that we covered a lot of ground last time. So if you have not watched uh, the episode on YouTube or listened to it uh, on the podcast, uh, I encourage you to do so before we get into our lesson today. It will help you and it will grind you for our study today. And even as we still might have questions about the millennium, there is one thing we can know for certain. Believers will rise to life eternal with Christ, and they will reign with him in his kingdom forever and ever. So as a matter of review, let's look at the principle and application from last time. Again, we look at the thousand year reign, verses 1 through 6. Our principle, the king's faithful servants will reign with him. The king's faithful servants will reign with him. Our application question As a believer today, how are you maintaining your allegiance to Christ until that day when you will reign with him in his glorious kingdom? In today's lesson, we're going to focus on the global final battle by looking at verses 7 through 10. In this section, Satan is freed from his maximum security prison, the abyss, and he's free to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, namely Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. And we're told that their number is like the sand of the sea. And the names Gog and Magog represent the nations of the world, led by Satan on a final assault on Mount Zion against God and his people. So, before we dive into those verses today, let's see if we can learn a little more about Gog and Magog. Uh, First, from the Lexan Bible Dictionary, let's look at Gog and Magog in the prophecy of Ezekiel. Quote, Ezekiel's identification of Gog appears to be connected with the Table of Nations in Genesis 10, as he associates Gog with Magog, Meshech, Tubal, and Gomer, all sons of Japheth. The description of Gog as an invading power follows standard prophetic themes with multiple allusions to Isaiah. You can compare Ezekiel 38:8 with Isaiah 2 verses 2 to 4 and Ezekiel 38 10 through 12 with Isaiah 10 verse 6. The notion that Yahweh will incite Gog to attack the people of Israel in service to his purposes and later turned against the invader in wrath, is rooted in Isaiah's theology of dual agency, Isaiah 10, verse 12. Ezekiel may have been influenced by prophetic descriptions of an enemy from the north, as in Jeremiah 1, 13 through 15 and Jeremiah 4, verse 6, and perhaps has connected this prophecy with Gyges of Lydia, a renowned king from Anatolia. The cosmic disruption described in Ezekiel 38, 19-23 is rooted in the day of the Lord. Prophetic tradition in which God appears as warrior, judge, and king to defeat his enemies, as in Joel chapter 2, end quote. So again, it's a bit of a lengthy quote and it comes from the Lexan Bible Dictionary from uh, an article named Gog and Magog by Brian D. Bibb. So that's Gog and Magog in the prophecy of Ezekiel. Now, from the same entry in the Lexan Bible Dictionary, let's look at Gog and Magog in later traditions. Quote, Gog and Magog have been consistent features in apocalyptic rhetoric throughout history, a witness to the power of God to defeat his enemies and rescue faithful ones from oppression and violence. In describing Yahweh's destruction of Gog's army, Ezekiel established metaphorical patterns that became central in both Jewish and Christian apocalyptic traditions. In the Qumran War Scroll, Gog appears as the recipient of God's final judgment. First, Qumran chapter 11, 16 and 17. In Revelation chapter 20 verse 8, Gog and Magog are two nations that fight on the side of Satan in the final battle against God. They are devoured by fire from heaven while the devil is cast into eternal torment in the lake of fire. Revelation 20 verses 9 through 10. End quote. And again that's the Gog and Magog entry in the Lexan Bible Dictionary by Brian D. Bibb. Finally, before we go into our lesson today, I want to review something we discussed in our lesson, Bowls of Wrath, Part 2 on Revelation 16. And in that lesson, we discussed the location and the nature of the Battle of Armageddon. This is the final great battle at the end of history between Christ and the forces of evil. And I want to bring this discussion here again as a reminder for an important reason. There are some Bible scholars that believe that this battle in Revelation 20, the one referencing Gog and Magog in verses 7-10, through it is not a different battle from Armageddon, but simply another recapitulation John is using in the book of Revelation. In other words, it's the same event told in a different form. And that perspective clearly influences how we view the passage. And for that reason, I want to recap what we discussed in our lesson on Revelation 16. Most Bible commentaries and teachers identify the location of the Battle of Armageddon as the town of Megiddo. However, is that correct? For that answer, I would like to turn to Dr. Michael Heiser, who provides a great explanation about where this final great battle actually takes place. This is from his book, The Unseen Realm, and it's a lengthy quote, but totally worth our time. Here's the first part of the quote. quote. with respect to the word itself, the scriptural description of the event, and the supernatural concepts tied to both those elements, the normative understanding of Armageddon is demonstrably flawed. John, the author of Revelation, tells us explicitly that Armageddon is a Hebrew term. The first part of the term, Har, is easy. In Hebrew, Har means mountain. Our term is def- therefore divisible into Har-Mageddon, Mount of Mageddon. The question is, what is Mageddon? The problem is that this, Megiddo, is an archaeological tale, an artificial mound created by successive layers of building and occupation over millennia. It is not a natural formation. It is not a mountain. And there are no mountains in the entire region. End of the first part of the quote. Dr. Heiser continues. Revelation 19, 11-21, informs us quite clearly that when Jesus returns bodily to earth, he will do so to end the conflict of Armageddon and defeat the beast, the Antichrist. According to Revelation sixteen sixteen, this climatic event occurs at Armageddon. Now let's take a look at Zechariah chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. And on that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David... And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace, and please for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. It is crystal clear. That the final conflict occurs at Jerusalem, not Megiddo. Megiddo is referenced only to compare the awful mourning that will result. Not only does Zechariah 12 place the final battle where the nations see the recent pierced Christ at Jerusalem, but verse 11 tells us explicitly that Megiddo is a plain, not a mountain. When John draws on this ancient Hebrew phrase, he is indeed pointing to a climatic battle at Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is a mountain, Mount Zion. Revelation and Zechariah agree. Armageddon is a battle for all the supernatural and earthly marbles at Jerusalem. Megiddo doesn't fit the profile in any way. End quote. To me, that's a very compelling assessment that points to Jerusalem as a place of the great final battle. That's a place of doom for the forces of evil. And since we're looking at the global final battle in Revelation 20, it is important that we have the full context. So we have looked at Gog and Magog. We have done a review of Armageddon. So with that, here's our lesson outline and goal for our teaching from Revelation chapter 20. Again, today we are in lesson uh, 42, the thousand years part two. Last time we looked at the glorious thousand year reign, verses one through six. Today we will look at the global final battle, verses seven through ten. And then next time we will look at the last section of Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment, verses 11 through 15. My goal for the teaching from Revelation 20 is this to encourage believers to remember that Christ. Will establish his kingdom and his people will reign with him forever and ever. Again, the goal for this lesson is to encourage believers to remember that Christ will establish his kingdom and his people will reign with him forever and ever. Let's get started. Let's read verses 7 through 10 for our second division from Revelation, the global final battle. Verse 7 When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever revelation 20 7 through 10. in verse 7 we see that after the thousand years are completed satan will be released from his maximum security prison from the abyss. He's out of the penalty box. Now when someone goes to prison, there is a faint hope that they will experience rehabilitation. That they will change their ways. In verse 8, is that what will happen with Satan? No. He is a repeat offender, incapable of rehabilitation. We're told that he will come out to deceive the nations from the four corners of the earth from Gog and Magog he is going to gather them together for war. And we're told that this will be a massive army. And as we mentioned earlier, and also in our study of Revelation 19, we know that some Bible scholars believe that the Battle of Armageddon and the Battle of Gog and Magog here in Revelation 20 are the same event. Other Bible scholars believe that these are separate but similar events separated by the Millennial Kingdom. In Revelation twenty one through 6. This all boils down to where you land with regard to a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. You might think of it as the first stage of the eternal state. So in that view the thousand years is not a problem. It's a literal thousand years. On the other hand you might think that why have a preliminary stage? Why not simply it is a matter that we move to the eternal state as soon as the kingdom is consummated at the second coming of Christ. So let's look at these two different views for a moment because in biblical prophecy, in eschatology, there are multiple, there are diverse views, and it's good for us to be aware of all of them and let us God's Holy Spirit to help us understand as we do our own study of the passage. So first, let's hear from Dr. Swindoll as he speaks on the first view, a literal thousand-year reign of Christ, and this view is aligned with a pre-millennial view of the end times. Dr. Swindoll, in his commentary on the book of Revelation, says this, In truth, the millennial reign is actually the first thousand years of Christ's eternal reign. The condition of peace and righteousness established by Christ will last forever, Scripture is clear about that. Satan and his false messiah will never regain power over the earth. Christ and his saints will never be dethroned. The earth will never again be cursed. Yet, in another sense, this specific phase of Christ's rule will come to an end after a thousand years, and the final phase of his reign will begin." Quote. For an alternative view, Dr. Heiser believes that the thousand years does not refer to the actual number of one thousand. It refers to a long, a very long period of time. Here's what he has to say about this idea, quote, What if we ditch the premillennial or the millennial language? What if the idea of a literal messianic reign on earth doesn't depend on the word thousand in Revelation 20? My position, just generally, is that when all of this stuff in the book of Revelation plays out on earth, Christ will literally return. He will literally defeat the beast, which is both a chaos system and an antichrist, and he will literally reign forever on earth in a new global Eden. I believe in a literal messianic reign on earth that never ends. End quote. And again that's Dr. Michael Heiser on his Naked Bible podcast, episode three ninety-three, on Revelation twenty. And Dr. Heiser also believes that the references in Revelation twenty one through five to a thousand year period after refer actually to the church age. So If you look at Revelation 20 verses 1 through 5, that thousand year period is actually the church age, which is everything leading up to the second coming of Christ and the battle of Armageddon. He also believes that the reference to a thousand year period in Revelation 20 verses 6 and 7 refer to the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. So it's the same phrase, two different periods of time, both longer than 1,000 years. And this view, his perspective on the thousand years, will come into play later as we go deeper into this section of scripture. And again, I just wanted you to have examples of both perspectives uh, on the millennial reign of Christ. How that plays into the battle of Armageddon and this battle here of Gog and Magog. Because again, it's important that we have all these perspectives available to us so as we study the book of Revelation and biblical prophecy in general with that in mind let's see the setup for the war of Gog and Magog in the scroll of the prophet Ezekiel let's look at Ezekiel 38 beginning in verse 1 now the word of the Lord came to me saying son of man set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal and prophesy against him and say, this is what the Lord God says, Behold, I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshek and Tubal. So I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them magnificently, dress a great contingent with shield and buckler, all of them wielding swords. Persia, Cush, and Put with them, all of them, with buckler and helmet Gomer with all its troops Beth Togarmah from the remote parts of the north with all its troops many peoples with you Ezekiel 38 1-6 so what we see here is a large global multinational army following Gog ready for war just know this that just like Armageddon God is the one bringing up Gog and his hordes to battle we saw that in Revelation 16 13 through 14 where the night the nations were gathered to har Mageddon same idea here God is in control he is sovereign he is the one causing all of this to happen so where is this great army headed if you look at verse 9 of Revelation 20 We're told that they're headed to Jerusalem. This is the same location for the Battle of Armageddon. We're told that the army came up on the earth, or the land, and surrounded the camp of the saints, the holy ones of God, in the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. Let's go back to Ezekiel for his account of the battle, beginning in verse 7 of Revelation, of Ezekiel 38, I'm sorry. Ezekiel 38, verse 7. Be ready and be prepared, you and all your contingents that are assembled around you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be summoned. In the latter years you will come into the land that is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations, to the mountains of Israel, which have been a continual place of ruins. But its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. And you will go up, you will come up like a storm, you will be like a cloud covering the land. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. Ezekiel 38, verses 7 through 9. We continue with the war of Gog and Magog, the setup. In Ezekiel 38, we jump to verse 14. Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, This is what the Lord God says. On that day, when my people Israel are living securely, Will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north. You and many peoples with you, all of them riding horses, a large assembly, and a mighty army. And you will come against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land, so that the nations may know may know me when I show myself holy through you before their eyes, Gog. Ezekiel 38: 14 through 16. Now, notice that God's great right army will gather against a place where people have been living in security. If the location is Jerusalem, and it is, Jerusalem has not been a full peace or completely secure ever, except maybe in the days of David and Solomon. And if you if you view this battle as a different battle from Armageddon. And one that follows the Millennial Kingdom, well, in the Millennial Kingdom where Christ is ruling with a rod of iron and there is peace, there is a sense that God's people have been living securely for 1000 years. So just food for thought there. What's the outcome of the battle? God wins again. We're told that fire came down from heaven. And devour Gog and his army. John gives us the headline. Ezekiel gives us the details. Look at Ezekiel 38 verses 19 through 23. In my seal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day, there will certainly be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, all the crawling things that crawl on the earth, and all mankind who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. And the mountains will be thrown down, the steep pathways will collapse, and every wall will fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With plague and with blood I will enter into judgment with him. And I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain, hailstones, fire, and brimstone. So, I will prove myself great, show myself holy, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel thirty-eight nineteen 19-23 We continue looking at the outcome of the war of Gog and Magog. Let's jump to Ezekiel 39, verses 4-6 through 6. You will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops, and the peoples who are with you, I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and animal of the field. You will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God. And I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety, and they will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel 39 4 6. So Gog's armies will turn against each other. And they will die by plague, by fire, by rain, by hailstones and brimstone. You know what? Those are all elements in all the previous judgments we saw with the seals, with the bowls, with the trumpets. Again, food for thought. In the end, God will consume them with his holy fire. And as we saw last time, when we look at the uh, Battle of Armageddon, the birds of the air will have a great feast. Ezekiel 39 17 through 19. It's game over. It's over for Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet and all the forces of evil, all the rebels who oppose God. It's game over. God wins. In verse 10 of Revelation 20, we have one more piece of business to address. We have to deal with the main culprit of this attack. It's like at the end of a great cop show or movie. We want them to get the main guy, the antagonist. We are told in that verse 10 of Revelation 20 what will happen with the devil, the one who deceived them and who led them to rebel against God. We are told that finally he was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. In that place, he is going to join the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And all three of them will be tormented day and night forever. That's the destiny of the great deceiver that has been his destiny for a long time. Look at Matthew 25 verse 41. This is Jesus speaking. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25 verse 41. The devil will not run hell. He will be tormented just like everyone else he deceived. It's a terrible, dreadful destiny. There is no hope. You will be separated from God forever, tormented forever. Why would you stand still as a believer and not work to have everyone have the opportunity to avoid that dreadful fate? Well, that brings us to the end of our second division from Revelation 20, the global final battle. What's our principle? The king's faithful servants work to reconcile the world to God. The king's faithful servants work to reconcile the world to God. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21 As a believer today, how are you helping those who are being deceived by that serpent of old, Satan? This concludes part 2 of our teaching from Revelation 20. Thank you for being here today. Next time, we will conclude our study of this chapter and we will focus on verses 11-15 the great white throne judgment. Until then, this is Jose Figueroa for an approved workman where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. May God richly bless you.